51, if you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 51. And uh, you guys are kind of going, "Uh uh-oh, what's happening here? Gunnar's got his Bible open. Doesn't he know that we sing four songs? Then we have the announcements. Then we dismiss the children that go to Sunday school. Then we have the offering with another song. And then he's allowed to talk. And then after he's done talking, we sing one song and we go home. That's called liturgy. We, lethargy. we all have liturgy. We all are used to certain things. I'm a, I'm a total creature of habit. But today we're doing something differently. So first, um, the children who go to Sunday school can follow out uh, Mrs. Casey. And they're going to go to Sunday school right now. Um, and we're not going to cover any announcements in the bulletins. So you have them, read them. <laughs> like the, the, uh, just this week, you know, next week we'll announce them. And next week there is a meeting for uh, Sunday school teachers who uh, want to get involved. Um, it's in the bulletin, so read it. Um, we will take the offering at the end of the service. And so today, um, you know, we went to Mexico yesterday. And I got home real late, and then I was kind of here. I always have my, like, pre-game prep. You know, I pray over the chairs. I kind of straighten out the place. I get, I make really strong coffee. I get everything kind of going. Well, I didn't get out of here till like, 10 o'clock last night. And I'm like, okay, I'm just so exhausted. Like, I've been up since 4 a.m. I'm going to just wake up really early tomorrow and come get all the stuff. So this morning, my alarm went off at a dark hour and I pressed snooze but I pressed really I turned it off and then I woke up about two hours later and was like ah, I gotta hurry <laughs> so I brushed my teeth I was able to get here in time for the first service but things are a little out of whack and, and this week as I was preparing for this psalm on forgiveness as I was studying it the Lord was like you know what this is a psalm to do communion with it's like, Lord, but we do communion on the fourth Sunday of the month or the last Sunday of the month. We'll, we'll do it then. It's like, and so I start getting convicted. And, and it's like, well, then we see that after you're convicted of your sin and you repent and then you, you take communion, we see in Scripture that worship comes out of that. So it's like, it's like well, you need to like change up everything. Like do communion and then interrupt your message, take communion, inter- then keep preaching. And then have the time of worship after you're talking. And then you can take the offering. It fits. And so I kind of wrestled with it, and, and uh, so we're doing something different this week because I believe, after the first service, I do believe that it was of the Lord to do this. I wasn't sure if I ate something funny that made me think weird stuff this week or not, but, but I do believe it was of the Lord. And I think it's okay because, um, you know, this is a time of worship. It's not lecturing some guy lecturing to us. God is here. He's in our hearts. He's with us. He's moving in our midst. And so we want to respond. So this is kind of like an interactive serve. Not so much interactive, but it's really us engaged with the message of today's story. Um, so we're going to pray, and we'll get right into Psalm 51. So Father, we come before you, and we thank you, God, that you are alive, that you're working, that your spirit is guiding and directing us. Lord, we pray that as we... Um, Mix things up today. Lord, we pray that your word would uh, speak to us. Lord, may your spirit convict us. Lord, um, I pray, Father, that you would soften our hearts, Lord. Um, that you would give us joy, Lord, that only you can give us. And I pray, Father, um, that we would just understand what it means to be a forgiven person. Lord, that we would walk with you closely all the days of our life. We love you and we praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Psalm 51, actually before Psalm 51, almost every psalm, there's a little like, it's almost like notes. It, well, it's not like, it actually is notes above the psalm to kind of help um, people understand what, what the context is. So we're going to start there. and. It begins with, for the choir director. So right there, uh, we see that this psalm is a song, and and the choir director needs to understand certain things before he leads um, the people in singing this song. Then we're told, it's a psalm of David. So David, King David, uh, the father of Solomon, wrote this psalm. And then we're told that he wrote it when Nathan the prophet came to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so, 
So we get kind of a little bit of insight, and some of us might not know the story. And so in order to bring this into context, that we understand what David was going through when he wrote this psalm, we need to turn back to first, Second Samuel chapter 11. So hold your place in Psalm 51, and we're going to go to Second Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. It's in near, I don't know, it's a few books to the left. And in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we get the context of what brought the prophet Nathan to confront um, David. And so we learn in verse 1, we read, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. So David had sent the nation. It was springtime. You know, it's just like, hey, spring's the time to have war in the Middle East. It's like, hey, the weather's good. Let's go, to, let's go to town. So everybody, the whole nation's at war. David, for his whole life, the great warrior that God used, instead of leading the nation from the front, he says, I'm going to hang back, chill out in Jerusalem, have some nice coffee, relax, and I'll let the boys fight this fight. And so David is not acting like David already. And then in verse 2 we read, Now when evening came, David arose from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And so, uh, there's been a lot of speculation. The Bible, first off, says nothing against Bathsheba. Nowhere in Scripture are you going to find anything against her. We read bathing, and we think... Oh, she's like she's got like a shower connected out there, and she's showering on the roof. Like, what is she doing? You know, she's stumbling David. But the word and the context of this, this is like an afternoon siesta, and you you wake up, and they're often on the roofs. They would have a bowl of water, and they go and they'd I, last service I touched right here, and it's really so I didn't do it. You're you're welcome. Um, I got real loud, and she could have been just washing her face, so she's refreshing herself after the afternoon nap, and he sees her. And he gets one of his men and he says, I'm not going to read every verse, I'm going to kind of tell the story, but you can check the text out, and I'll, you know, call me out if I'm off. And he says, who is that down there? And the guy comes back and he's, he is dealing with the king who could order him to be killed for any which reason. And he says, you know, that's Bathsheba and she's the daughter of so-and-so and she's the wife of Uriah, one of your soldiers that's out at battle. And you get the feeling that this guy's trying to warn the king. That girl's off limits. King, that you have a lot of wives. Don't, like, leave her alone. But David ordered that she would come to him. He laid with her and she became pregnant. And I believe in this text, when she goes to the king, when she finds out she's pregnant, I believe that David, if he had the option, he would have had the baby aborted. But that wasn't an option for him. He has to come up with a new plan. And it's been said that in this story, it's been speculated that David broke all of the Ten Commandments with exception of the Sabbath. So he comes up with the plan. He says, listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to, not to the wife, he comes up with his own plan. She's back at her house. And he says, I need to deal with this. So he orders that Uriah is, it comes back from the battle home. He thinks, hey, he's been away from his wife. He'll go be with his wife. Then I can send him back. She'll, get, she'll be pregnant. They'll just assume it was his. The guy comes back, and instead of going to his wife, he sees the king, then he sleeps on the, the king's doorstep. He's like, what's going on? And the guy responds to the king, says, the, the nation's at war. My men are out there fighting. I'm not going to come back and get comfortable and be with my wife. And talking with Anna over this, she's like, you come see me, right? Like you know, former Navy SEAL, like what I, my my command, my combat mentality. I'm like Anna. I don't know. Like if I'm retracted, I'm in the midst of battle, and I'm going to be here for a day or two. Like it might not be good for my well being or yours if I see you and you're like, oh, don't leave again. I the babies, the kids. Look at your. Like then I go back to like into the throes of combat and I'm thinking about my family and, and, and how heartbroken I am over not being with them that I get myself or other people killed. So I'm like, I, sorry, hon. I, 
I don't, I don't know that that would be the wisest thing depending on like the, the wartime situation. And David's like, okay, plan number two, we'll get him drunk. He gets drunk, he'll go be with his wife. He gets drunk. He does not go with his wife. And David is like, this is, okay, I've got to do something different. So he writes a letter. He writes a letter. He folds it. He puts his seal on the letter that nobody would be allowed to open the letter except for the recipient. He gives it to Uriah and he says, go to your commander out in the battle. Hand this letter to him. So David travels out to war. He open, the commander opens the letter. David's right there probably, or, or he knew who David, or he knew who Uriah was, who delivered the letter, and it says, From King David, what I want you to do is to take a team and I want you to penetrate the enemy lines where it's really dangerous. Then what I want you to do is to withdraw everybody except for Uriah so that he's killed. This is not a combat fatality. This is murder conceived and executed by King David. Then the word comes back in verse 22 that Uriah is now dead. And then we pick up the story and eventually Bathsheba hears what has happened in verse 26. And it says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife. And she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he takes Bathsheba. And uh, it was, we're told it's evil in the sight of the Lord. I don't know how much Bathsheba had. Like It's the king. If he wants to marry her, he, could, he does what he wants. She eventually um, loses this child in the story we're going to see. And then she bores a second son, and it's King Solomon. Now, this evil that David had done was horrible. I mean, it affected the soldiers that brought him. It affected Bathsheba, obviously. Later in David's life, I I should have looked it up between services. I'm bad with people's names. Um, One of his most trusted commanders turns on David. And the text doesn't really say why. You only discover... Anna knows his name. What's his name? Ahithophel. Ahithophel. The only... I'm going to need a second help, too. Um... But when you start going into the, the genealogy, which we think is boring, when you start reading the Bible, you learn that Ahithophel is related to Bathsheba. She's father-in-law? Grandpa. He's Bathsheba's grandpa. So he turns on David because he's bitter over what David did to his, his granddaughter. This thing is going to get David... God's angry about it. And as we look at this story, and I've got to move quick because we're doing things differently today. I always, I'm, this, I really am moving quick today. Um, I don't want us to focus on David's sin. I want us to focus on how awesome God is. How God deals with David and his sin. Yesterday in Mexico, I love going to Caravan Ministries because they tell you right up front, they say, listen, if you're here to build a house, to have a a warm, fuzzy feeling like you're doing humanitarian work, don't go to us. Go to the Peace Corps. Go to any other group that just does humanitarian stuff. They're like, Jesus' last words were to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. They need to know that God is a God who redeems people who are lost, who are sinners, which is everybody. It's not just in the it's not just a New Testament thing. It begins in Genesis all the way to Revelation. That sin has infected our world, has separated us from God, and God is redeeming all peoples. And this story, I believe, of Psalm fifty one and this story, David did a horrible thing, evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the scripture tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. And I think that the hero in this, and I know that the hero is God. We pick up in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, Now, this is over, this is a, a year later of the sin. The child has been born, there's a son. God gives David over a year to get right with God. He's convicting him. He's, he's, he's prompting him to restore his heart. And then finally he sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan is going to... I don't have time to read the whole story. I would, but... Um, he, 
to, to King David who started in the field shepherding sheep. He starts telling the story, oh, there was a rich king that had all, a rich guy that had all kind of sheep and goats and hundreds and thousands of them. And he met this little shepherd boy who had one sheep. And it was, you know, I'll say, like it just works in our context. It was like this little puppy. He got it, when, you know, the little boy got this puppy right as soon as it was weaned from its mother. And this goat, he fed by hand, he slept with it, he cherished it. It was part of the family. And this guy with all the goats comes to town and he slaughters this little boy's sheep and has a big old barbecue. Yeah, oh, oh, how horrible is this guy? It's true. And David being a shepherd in chapter 12, verse 5, David knew that this was wrong. He is like, listen, he says, then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And Nathan said, wait, his, his, his anger burned against the man. And as, wait, let's see, I'm missing a point. Blah, 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 blah. I, miss, I missed something here. Okay, let me just kind of say, he prepared wayfarer, he'd come for him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, Nathan, that's where I was off, I was up late last night. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. David's so angry, he's the king, he just ordered the death sentence on this guy. He said, you go get this guy, kill him, the death penalty. And at this point, Nathan said, hmm, You're the man. You're the guy I'm talking to. I wasn't talking about sheep. I was talking about Uriah's wife. And you just gave the order that you deserve to die. And then in my Bible, I count about, there's about seven eyes. So then Nathan says, from the Lord, God says this, I made you king, I did all this stuff for you, I took care of you, I did this, and now I'm going to do all of this judgment to you. He ultimately gets to the main confrontation point in verse 9. And he says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword of the Lord shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will live with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. He says, Okay, you've, you've repented. God's going to withhold his judgment. That's mercy. And he goes on to say, However, verse 14, Because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. And David goes into this great mourning, fasting, praying that God would spare this child from his sin. And then after the child dies, all of his guards are like, all of his helpers are like, oh man, I don't want to see David. David showers, he comes out, he starts praising the Lord, and they're like, what is going on? He's like, I know that baby's with the Lord. And he makes an offering, he gets right with God. And during the context of this story is when Psalm 51 came out. And so turn back to Psalm 51. And so in Psalm 51... The introduction, we'll read it again, so we have more impact. For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. That's the context. This is what David wrote. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgression, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. 
against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David says, Lord, cleanse me. My sin, my guilt, my shame, it's all over me. He says, blot out my transgressions. This week we had a very practical illustration of blotting out. Somewhere I wasn't looking, I was on duty. Grace took out like a sharpie and started drawing on a white ottoman that our magic cleaner is not getting out. We are trying to blot it out and it just won't come out. And David's at the place where he knows his transgression. He knows how bad his sin is in light of God. He's trying desperately to blot it out and he can't do it. And he realizes that he sinned against all kinds of people, but ultimately his sin is against God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak. When David stood before God and when each of us stand before God and he speaks judgment upon us, he's just. I talk to people about Jesus and how God, Jesus loves them. They say, it's not fair that that's the only... That it's not... Oh, we don't want fairness when we're dealing with God. Fairness is that we pay. God gives retribution to our sin. He's holy. He will never mix His holiness with our sin and He is going to drop the hammer on us. And He's totally justified. And David knows this. He goes on to say, and you're blameless when you judge. This isn't like... Any human judge that is corrupt, no matter how uncorrupt we think a judge is, we're humans, we're corrupted by sin. He says, when you speak, you're blameless. When you judge me, I have nothing to do but to receive it. There's no word that I can do. Your law silences my lips. He goes on to, to expound upon his total depravity that he was conceived in sin. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. That God's word cuts us. His spirit convicts us so much so that David says, it's like all of my bones have been shattered by you. That my guilt, my shame, you've broken me. And he says, make these bones rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, verse 9, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We get on one side. David understands how bad his sin is. On the other side, he knows that God will make him white as snow. He says, purify me, wash me, make me to hear glad and joyous miss. Make my broken bones rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Create in me a clean heart. When I was in Israel this last time, I was reminded of a horrible story that happened in my life. Yet again, I have another story of folly. And uh, So when I'm in Jerusalem, a friend of mine sends me a note on Facebook, a hidden, old seal buddy. He says, oh, you're in Jerusalem. I said, yeah, I'm staying at this hotel. And he's like, I mean, he didn't really say anything. Other than, I said, okay, well, maybe I'll see him, maybe I won't. Well, I'm in Jerusalem, my phone rings. Hello. I thought it was somebody from the tour group. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, and I was trying to set up Skype for one of the families that had kids. And, and I'm like, oh, you're not so-and-so. And he's like, hey, Gunnar, it's me. My old seal, but all, the guy who introduced me to sushi, who I love, I mean, but we had a past that was not very Christian. He's like, hey, can I come up to your room in 10 minutes? Yeah, sure. Dinner starts in a couple, you know, I can't miss dinner. But, you know, before dinner, you're welcome to come up. He shows up. Hey, man, how's it going? He's like, whoa. It's like Jack Bauer. You know, like shuts the door, you know. And, and uh, he's like, where's your cell phone? It's in my bag. It's been off since I left Atlanta. He's like, pull out the battery, pulls out his stuff, does a bunch of other stuff that I want to talk about, kind of cleanse the room. He looks at me, he's like, I'm now with the CIA doing black ops out here. I'm like, whoa. He's, he's got this big old thing of chewing. And it reminded me of a, a story back when we were like in the teams. We were hanging out. 
he's always got a thing to chew in his mouth. And there was a day, man, he had the bottle like half filled up with spit. I mistaked it from whatever I was drinking. And I took a, uh, I mean, I swallowed a huge gulp of this nastiness stuff. If I really ponder it too much, I'll start like wanting to throw up right now. I hadn't thought about it till I saw this guy. And he's like going like, man, what happened? Like his language is real colorful. What happened to you? Like I got in an act, like I was in an accident and then that's what made me a pastor. You know, like how, how did this happen? You know, like, and I was like, man, do you remember when that story, like seeing you spit? I'm like, will you take that bottle out, my water bottle out of the room with you? But I remember when that happened, I like, I'm like, I gotta get, I gotta go home. I need to figure out a way to like shower in Listerine. I want to see if I can swallow Listerine to like, like I was so disgustingly like contaminated. And that feeling that I had is how David felt about his sin. Like I didn't think that I could clean myself from that disgust. And David realizes that this is how God felt about our sin. And he says, purify me, wash me, make me to hear God. Created me a clean heart. Only you can do this. He goes on to say, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I've heard Christians with degrees in theology claim that this is a verse that says we can lose our salvation. It's not taking the whole scripture as a whole. See, in the Old Testament, having the Spirit didn't really... Like, it, like the Spirit couldn't dwell on a person and then it would leave and then it would come. And David was God's anointed man, so he had the Spirit. We don't have time to unpack it the whole way, but just write in your notes or your Bible or right next to this, Ephesians 1.13 tells us that when you believed, you were sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. That you, Ephesians 1.13 You were sealed until the day of redemption That word sealed is what kings used on a letter When the king who sent Daniel to the lion's den Because he was tricked by his men He could not undo it He said, Daniel, I'm really sorry But it has my seal I can't undo it The seal is permanent But for us, I think the lesson is from Ephesians 5.18. It says, Be not drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. So we as Christians have the Spirit. And as we sin, or we get, as we sin, the Spirit empties out our tank. And so we want to be controlled by God, and our sin breaks this relationship, our fellowship that we have. David continues in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and the God of my salvation. See, I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know if you've trusted in Jesus. Communion, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to take, is for Christians. If you haven't trusted in Jesus or you're not sure, it's as simple as, Lord, I believe that Jesus died for me. He paid the price for my sin. I believe. I believe at that moment that you get that thought that you surrender and you say, I believe, sealed. And so we as Christians are told to take communion, that as we struggle with sin and have areas, it's our time to remember. So I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place. And uh, Rick, you can kind of come up and get ready. I saw you itching over there. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, we read, Paul speaking to the church, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus, the night which he was betrayed, he was going to go make the sacrifice for us. He was going to pay for our sin. He said, you know what? This was just a regular Passover meal. And I really believe that communion, that we've kind of made it, you know, like once a month. I think Jesus did it in a way that every time they went to eat their bread, like every time they broke their loaf of Vaughn's bread, which I love, it's like Jesus broke his body for me. Or whatever your favorite bread, like it was a tangible reminder that Jesus did it all. 
And then he goes on to say, in the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, in this cup is the new covenant, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. He said, he knew, they didn't get it at the time, that he was going to raise from the dead. In Isaiah chapter 49, we've been working through Isaiah, there's a verse in chapter 49 that basically speaking of the coming Messiah, it says that the Messiah will be the covenant. That Jesus himself is the covenant. He is the covenant. That he rose from the dead and there's life. He paid for our sin. He's not on the cross. He's risen from the grave. And we have life now. Keep turning to the, back, to the right. Uh, to Second Corinthians, the very next book. And in chapter 5, <clears throat> after a huge section from 14 all the way down to 21, talking like that the love of Christ compels us that we have been entrusted with this ministry of reconciliation. In this section, you'll see reconciliation a bunch of times, at least five or six times. And then in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read, He made Him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. We all have a problem. It's called sin. We were born into it. We're totally separated from God. Before the foundations of the earth, God devised a plan to rescue us from our sin. Jesus came. He lived his 33 years before his execution without sin. Hebrews 4.15 tells us um, that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. Every struggle that we go through, he was tempted, but he didn't give in. And so he was without blame. He goes to the cross. He's executed. We're told that the world's sin is placed upon him. Jesus comes to the earth and he says, I love these people so much. That their sin, the consequence due them, is this. But I'm going to be their substitute. I'm going to step in and say, you know what? I'm not guilty. Place it upon me. And when he did that, for those who believed, all he paid for all. And when you believe, it like it comes alive. A few years ago, my friend, we were in seminary. He he bought a Mac, and he doesn't know how to use a Mac. He was like, and he decided that he was going to learn how to use a Mac at our first day in class, and it was really annoying. And he's like, oh, it ha- comes with Word. Oh. And I'm like, okay, the, the easiest way for me to solve this problem is to call my brother-in-law, who's a computer software engineer and does Macs, say, will you talk to him? Because he's going to be interrupting us the whole class, trying to figure out how to get word. So my brother-in-law is talking to this guy. And he's like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. Oh, hey, there's word. Oh, right, it's popping up. And the whole program is like being installed and coming alive on the Mac. And then it comes to the point where it says, to activate this software, please enter your credit card number and it'll, for a small fee, you know. And you're like, ah, oh, I was told that the Mac came with everything. See, we all were given salvation, but it's not activated until we believe. Jesus paid, provided the way, but it's not automatic. It takes you having faith in Him and then the software, life, is installed. If you continue over to 1 John chapter 1, We normally go straight to verse um, 9 because that's the one that we like. I'm in Philippians. That's why it doesn't look right to me. So in 1 John, towards the end of the Bible, uh, right after First and Second Peter, you'll come to John. If you hit Revelation, you went too far. We all like verse 9. But I want to back it up to verse 5 to put it in the context. It says, This is the message we have from Him and announce it to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. <clears throat> but if we walk in the light as He Himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So up to this point, he's saying that those who have never trusted in Christ, if you say, oh, I'm, not, I'm a good person, I have no sin, you're deceiving yourselves. Well, I, I go to church every Sunday. I'm really religious. I do all of this stuff. So you say you're without sin, you're not covered. You have no relationship with God. But in believing you're covered, the Spirit seals you. You now are a child of God. 
And then in verse 9, he starts addressing those Christians. Hey, you become a Christian, and it's not like your struggles go away. You, 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 can, you make progress. But the problem is, as a Christian, the closer you get to God, His holiness comes into the clear and clearer picture throughout all the days of your life. And your sin nature begins to become magnified. Like, oh, wow. Like, I really, like, I just can't get rid of it. There was a, I think it was Amy Carmichael, I'm not really sure, but Amy Carmichael was a missionary, and it might not have even been her, it was a missionary lady for sure that went overseas, and she said, man, you try to like hold it together, you try to like pretend that you're perfect, you try to pretend that you're walking with the Lord, and your sin just bubbles up, and she describes it as one who's trying to take one of those big beach balls and holds it underwater. You hold it underwater. You try so hard and then the thing just blasts to the surface and explodes on you. And that's where verse 9 comes in. It says, "Is if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As Christians, we struggle and we don't get worse, but I... Our understanding of who God is and who we are gets better. And then we see our sin. And when we see our sin, the Spirit convicts us. And conviction should give you joy. Because it's not condemnation. If you're apart from Christ, that conviction is guilt and shame. And it's God's condemnation calling upon you that you know is due you. But as a Christian, it's conviction. And God is driving us. Repent. Confess. I'll make you righteous. Cleanse you. And it's not your own works. It's His righteousness that's being imparted to us. And so we're going to take communion now and then we're going to get back to Psalm 51. So if you want to kind of hold your places and what I want us to do, Rick's going to sing um, the old rugged cross. And what we're going to do is confess. And if your mind draws a blank over things to confess... You can confess your pride. Because we all have fallen short. We all struggle. We all need God to help us. And when you're ready, I'd ask you just to come up here, get the juice and the cracker, and take go back to your seat, and just take it when you're ready. And then once we're done with communion, I'm going to get up here, and we're going to continue through Psalm 51. Thank you, Lord, that your word cuts, that your conviction uh, crushes our bones. Lord, we thank you that it's just like in our our, uh, our centuries in our lives, Lord, that you've given us pain, Lord, that when we touch fire, we, with, we withdraw. Father, we thank you that you have um, put this conviction in our hearts, Lord, that we would respond to you. Father, we thank you that your aim of conviction is salvation and fellowship with us. And Father, we pray that as we continue going through this text, Lord, that you would would continue to work in our hearts. We thank you that this conviction is only for a short while, that you want singing and joy out of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm actually going to have the worship team come on up for this last section. They can work their ways up, work their way up. But we're going to pick up again. We're going to continue. Don't put your Bibles away. We're in Psalm 51, uh, verse 14. We're going to kind of pick up there as they're making their way up. 
And David knew that God would cleanse him, would restore him. He says in 13, as this is happening, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Then sinners will be converted to you. I will proclaim how good you are. Verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing. Repentance, conviction, conviction leads to repentance. Repentance leads to joy, which causes us to want to sing and to worship. When I grew up, I hated the singing time in church. It made it go longer. We went to a church where if you went to the early service, you could cut out the singing part, which I loved. But then you realize, yeah, I got my donut if I stayed awake. That's, but, but the deal is, as Christians, or as throughout the text of Scripture, when people encounter this gracious, merciful, merciful God that's so filled with love for us, and He's freed us, it leads to singing. David, this mighty war here, was like a musician writing music and singing. He says, Then my tongue, verse 14, will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. David said, Lord, I got all the resources in the world. If you were if I could buy, pay you off, I would do it. But you don't want this. You don't want a bunch of works. You want my heart. He says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart will not despise. Now turn to the beginning of the Psalms, to Psalm 32. We're going to kind of pick up with another Psalm of David. Really quickly. Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, it says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Can I get a witness? I mean, mean, if we've received forgiveness, that's a blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. We should rejoice. David, God gave him over a year to suffer with his sin. Listen to these words. This is a man trying to hold that beach ball down. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. There are physical consequences to sin. And he says, I'm trying to hold it in, trying to hide it from God, and my body is wasting away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God, your hand of conviction was on me. I couldn't get out from under it. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. This is David. In the beginning of this introduction, it says, A psalm of David, a maskil, which means a psalm of instruction. This is a teaching. David is praying this to God, and in verse 8, God responds. 8 through 11 is God's response to David. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Everybody in this room has a mom. And we all know... The eye will tell you what to do. A mom can look across the horizon. (laughs) What are you doing over there? She guides you with her eye. God says, I'll guide you with my eye. You know, I have this dog that we put through some training and I'm trying to get her from on lead with a leash to off lead. And I think she's coming. But then I go down, you know, 
there's like the dog play park, right? You know, in, in El, at the very east end of Escondido. There's like um, on the right side or the side closest to Valley Center, there's three slots for like the crazy dogs. Then there's the slot where nobody else is allowed except for like really trained dogs. And I go over there. I didn't go, no, I was not ever allowed in there. (laughs) But I've watched from the outside. And if you go at the right time, you can see these police German shepherds working with their trainer. The, The trainer has nothing on him. The dog is right here, just like eyes, like bright, focused. Like, what do you want me to do? Here I am. Okay, run, stop. Okay, like, and I don't even know what the guy's doing. But the dog just does stuff, and he leaves and comes back. And the dog is so focused on his trainer's eyes. And God's saying He wants us like that with Him. That we're looking at, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we do this, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, I want to delight in Your Word. Day and night. I think it's Isaiah, we talked, in chapter 50 talks about the coming Messiah, and it says that he, he rose and listened to the Lord, speaking of Jesus. He says, I'll guide you with my eyes. So we need to be looking for Him. Lord, what do you want through prayer and your word? He goes on to say, I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Verse 9, do not be as the horse or as the mule who have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. He says, don't be like the animal that you need a leash, that you need a choke collar with all of the spikes. That, that, Come here, you. I have a dog like that. <laughs> he says, look in my eye. I want, I'm guiding you, instructing you. I want you to want me. I've forgiven you from your iniquity. Your guilt has been lifted upon you, from you. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. You righteous ones and shout for joy. All you who are upright in heart. So I want you all to stand. We're going to pray. You can put your Bibles down. We'll continue with Psalm 51. So don't lose your place. We're not done with it. But we're going to worship the Lord through music. This is five songs. This is like, we're just going to, this is worship. We've been forgiven. We've received it. We have so much to sing about. Father, we exalt Thee. Father, we pray that our praises would be to You. May they be sweet. May it be a fragrant aroma. Father, we pray that the words of these songs would be stuck in our hearts all week long. That we would praise You for You are worthy of our praise. We thank You, Lord, that You've forgiven us our sin. That You've healed us from our transgression. We love You, Lord. We praise You and we ask this in Christ's name. See, Lord, we... uh, We're overwhelmed by your love, Lord. We thank you that it's not our sacrifice, our works, our giving that you require for salvation, Lord, because we couldn't give enough. Father, we thank you that your spirit convicts us, Lord, that that your word crushes our bones, Lord, it penetrates our souls. And Lord, it's in that place where we repent. Lord, we confess to you. We receive your forgiveness. And Lord, that we can respond in singing and joy. Father, there's so many good lines in these songs. I pray that we would, like an annoying commercial, Lord, that has a jingle that we can't get rid of. I pray that the words of these songs would be stuck in our minds and our hearts all week long that we would draw from the truths found in them, Lord, that we would praise you all the day long. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Please be seated. If you want to open up to Psalm 51, we'll, we'll finish here. The worship team, uh, I think, stays up here. <clears throat> you know, I'm really thankful for you guys. You guys are working overtime this week. <clears throat> um, but we're going to take our offering and I don't want, like, I don't, don't suddenly go, like, get that sinky feeling in your seat. Oh, no, this is where the pastor's going to put on pressure and tell us how. It's not about that. Like, don't, this is not, like, I'm not giving today. I give once a month. So we have anywhere between, I don't know, 10, like, say there's five weeks in a month. Some months have five weeks. That's 10 offerings. I give one out of every 10 offerings. So there's times when you don't get, like it's, okay, 
Like, I'm not here to put pressure on you. Like, I probably even extend more than... Alberto, Albert, while you're there, can you just click on those lights so, I can, so I'm not blind? Just in a fluorescent ones too. And then there's one more to the right. Thank you. Um, I often have events that the church hosts. And it's more like, listen, if, if the church doesn't have it in our resources to do it, then we won't do it. Like it's, we have suggested off, like suggested donations all the time. But I never want money to be a barrier for participating in anything that we do. And so often I don't talk about it. But then I'm responsible as a pastor to teach discipleship because giving is, is part of discipleship. So uh, from, from here until I pray and we see next song, I, 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 want you, don't want, I want God's voice to speak to you. Like I don't feel no pressure from me, period. Okay? That's just a disclaimer. David has said already in verse 16 backing up a little bit he says you don't delight in sacrifice otherwise I would give it to you he's basically telling God that if I could buy my salvation if you wanted my offerings to pay back for the sin I committed I would do it but you don't want that he doesn't our giving has nothing to do with salvation your works your coming to church anything to try to earn your salvation with God will not work. God wants a broken and a contrite heart. He paid it all on the cross. Anything we attempt to do is an attempt to minimize the work on the cross. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe is the hymn says. But now in verse 18, now David just said you don't want my sacrifices to do this. But then he goes on to say, but, your, but by your favor do good to Zion, your city. Build the walls of Jerusalem. David was God's anointed king to, bring, to build the walls of Jerusalem, to, to build the temple that was destroyed. His sin he was never able to build. His son Solomon, because of the blood of his hands, there were consequences. And David is king. He's like, oh no, I've blown it. I'm God's chosen person. God's doing a work here. And my sin is hindering his work. And he's praying, Lord, by your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering, the whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. David's like, he knows that God wants our sacrifices. He wants us off to give offering. He, the word tells us that he owns all of the cattle on a thousand mountains. But he doesn't have the pink slip. People have the pink slip. And God uses people to fulfill his will. Like to, to do his work here. There was a huge light bulb probably... I'd been a Christian for like four years. I'd been a Christian for too long to like understand stuff. And Tuesday nights, the pastor was an ex-pro surfer. It was really awesome. I was like, oh man, he surfed against Tom Curran, which probably means nothing to pretty much everybody here. But it was like Joe Montana of surfing he competed against in a huge competition. Like, And there was free pizza. And so I'd go, and this guy was kind of like a rock. It was like just cool to me, you know? Like he'd tell stories about all these guys I idolized as a kid. And, and then there was free pizza afterwards. And it, like years had gone by. And as Mark Driscoll refers to like a Christian, when they mature long enough to realize that the world extends beyond their own belly button, I reached that point. I'm getting pizza, and it's like, wait a minute. I don't think Domino's is donating this pizza for free. Like what's go- like people are paying for this. People are paying for the lights to be on. People are paying the way that I might come. And it happened like four years of my career. It was like wow, and it started dawn on me. Like, am I going to participate in what God's doing? And yesterday down in Mexico, I built hundreds of houses down there with this ministry. You never know what type of family you're going to get. You get unbelievers. You get believers. And yesterday it was awesome. We got a believing family. And um, Francisco was his name. And, you know, I was able to... I do a lot better in Spanish than you guys give me credit for. I made some significant advances yesterday. 
<clears throat> I really did. I really did. And, uh, and um, it's true, right? Kelly's going to testify for me. Okay. Um, but Francisco was a believer, and so to be able to, like, just to bless his family who had so little. And there was a, there was a point in the day when Grace was sitting up on the tail, like the, the truck thing was, like, down on the tail bed or whatever. The, yeah, truck, you know, little thing was down. And she was sitting on it, so I went up and sat next to her and started talking with her. And um, she's, I, I forget how it started, and I was like, Grace, do you understand why we're here? She's like, yeah, we're in Mexico and they need a house and so we're building them a house. I'm like, yeah, but it's really cool, Grace, because Francisco and his family, those little kids you're playing with, they're Christians. And you know what in James it tells us as Christians that if we see a brother or sister in need and we have and we don't assist, it's not good. And so like our church, like Valley Baptist Church, like all of that wood, all of the supplies, like so whether or not you were there, you were there. And it's like, all of that wood cost about $800. And our church said, you know what? There's people down in Mexico that don't have a house. And so we want to bless them and provide a house. I mean, it's a 10 by 16. Our sheds, it would not meet code in the United States for our shed. And, and you know, and we want to bless them. And you know what, Grace? I said, if, if they were not believers then we would be able to tell them that God loves us so much that we've experienced the joy of Christ so much that we want to, to pass that love on to you, that He so blessed us, we want to pass on blessing to you that you might come to know Him and receive what we have. And it was just super awesome. And so David here, he says, Lord, my, don't hinder my sin, but we want to worship you. Lord, may you continue to build the walls. It's going to take sacrifice for us. People have always got, oh, tithing, you know, tithing is not in the New Testament. I hate, like, whoever, like, I hate to break, it's just not in the New Testament. It is in the Old Testament, it's Melchizedek. It, it, it supersedes the law. But the problem is, as I found in my own life, is I, I heard a guy say that he refers to tithing, meaning you take 10% of your salary and to give to the Lord. He said, I've, I've learned in my Christian life that that's like training wheels. And God, whenever I pray to give, He often wants a whole lot more. And I'm not twisting anybody's arm. Don't like if you're not prepared to give, don't give. Like don't. This is not. This is teaching. I'm not giving today. Just I'll give next week because I get paid next week. And how much I give is none of your business. Don't worry about it. And it's like I found that God loves sacrificial giving. Like that means, like that means that you, like you're cutting into like where it's a sacrifice, and it's like, oh, this really hurts God. But I really, like, Lord, we want people to know you. You're the God of redemption. These songs that we're singing, there are people in Mongolia that unless we send people there, they will never hear the name of Jesus, and they need to hear the name of Jesus. And so we will give. And so this is our heart. And so I'm not asking you to get... What I want you to do is I want you to learn to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to give? And I found in my own life that as I gave, using the training wheels, whatever percent, say you gave 10%. It's not like you give 10% and then you have 90% to like just party it away. I found that when I've given, to, like, Lord, how much do you want me to give? He says 9%, 10%, or whatever, this amount. And I figure out the percentage later. It's like, uh, okay. And as I've learned to do this, it's like, wow, this, like, the leftover percent, God has entrusted me with this. And how can I honor Him with everything that I have? And so we're going to take the offering, and we do this every week. This is not, if you're visiting, normally we just take the offering and nothing's even said. We just pray. But stewardship, like realizing that God is doing a work, and we want to participate. We want people to come and learn about Jesus, and maybe you're a visitor and you don't know Jesus, and you're just here. Great. Don't give. Have a Danish. Have some coffee. Sorry, I made it too strong. It was me. My fault. We want to bless you. We want you to come to know Jesus. We don't care about your money. God doesn't need your money. And He certainly doesn't want our money that's trying to earn favor with Him. It's response out of worship. And so, Father, we thank You, Lord, that our relationship with You is not about works. 
that we cannot, it's not about do so many good things, give so much money, and then you'll pour out blessing. No. We're told in Ephesians that you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing. We are blessed. Father, we thank you for this relationship we have with you. We thank you, Lord, that the guilt and the weight and the shame of our sin has been lifted by the blood of Jesus. We thank you that we have the Spirit within us guiding us, that you're watching and guiding us with your eye. Lord, may we listen to your voice. May we respond in obedience. Lord, help us to live lives that are pleasing to you. We love you, Lord. We praise you. And we ask this in Christ's good name. Thank you.